0: Today on The Graph, I follow up on a graphic report published in the spring of 2020 by former graphic reporter and Pepperdine alum, Chana Steinmetz. The article uncovers a workplace sexual assault allegation within Pepperdine's Department of Public Safety, also known as DPS. In order to maintain anonymity of those involved, we will refer to the victim as Jane Doe and her alleged assaulter as John Smith. Her voice has been modulated to protect her identity. The article states that no report was ever made to law enforcement, and Smith faced no legal charges. Although the university cleared Smith of all allegations, the report raises questions about how the department conducts internal investigations, and the role this plays in the Student Disciplinary Committee's decision-making. Discussions about sexual assault on college campuses are challenging, complex, and important. For the past year, discussions of this kind have become relatively quieted by online school and the nature of being away from campus. For this episode, I wanted to open up the discussion again and provide a window into what covering a story of this kind looks like for journalists, and in this case, for the woman who came forward with her story. I'm Lindsay Sullivan, and you're listening to The Graph. Here are the events of the evening of January 15th,
1: 2019. So I was getting off work really late. It was raining and um, I lived in Seaside, so it was quite a far walk from the CCB. And um, one of my coworkers that I was working with that night offered to drive me back. Um, and I obliged because so far he had been harmless um, and I didn't want to walk in the rain. Um, but then when he left the parking lot, he went the opposite direction of Seaside and um, he played it off like he was just going to check on the helicopter, which was stationed there, which is totally normal. So, yeah, OK, great. We're going to see the helicopter at Alumni. Um, and then when he got to Alumni, he put the car in park. And, um, didn't leave and said that this was something he'd always wanted to do with me. Um, and pretty much after that is like a blur for me. Um, I know that he obviously after that sexually assaulted me. Um, I don't know how (laughs) detailed I want to, you know, get into that, but, um, it was, it was definitely non-consensual and unwanted and I was frozen and I, you know, couldn't really move. I didn't know what to do. I, I wanted to leave and just jump out, but you know, it was raining. What was I going to do? Just like run from alumni to seaside. And, um, and I don't, I can't even remember how long it went on. I just guessed at least 15, 20 minutes. And then he leaned back um, because it was a bench seat in the fire truck. And he asked me to return the favor, and I, that time, I said, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, Which made him upset, and he kind of angrily drove me back to my dorm. And then once he dropped me off, he made it a point to say, don't worry, you're not a bad person for this, you don't have to worry about it. And I just kind of, you know, brushed that off, and went back to my room, and it hadn't been until, like, 2 a.m. that was now at like 12.45 I was back but it wasn't until around two when my friend um who I was talking to over text convinced me to report it because I was talking to him about how shooken up I was and so I walked up from Seaside to the CCB at two in the morning Mm -hmm. and I reported it to the um investigator who was on staff that night who was a woman and who I trusted and then that that was the end of that night.
0: Here's former reporter Chana Steinmetz.
2: It is is hard because at the end of the day the two people who know what happened were in that DPS truck and it's just it, it was my responsibility to have as accurate of an account of what happened but i also acknowledge that they are li- they are the only two that will ever know because there's just there's there's no way other than word of mouth and what's written in the report to to understand what happened
0: was it ever difficult to verify information as you were conducting your interviews and comparing documents and then you had, you know, one source who was a big player in the story, not even comment. Like, how did you verify information?
2: It was one of those things where she shared with me her story, but then I was feeling like, where do I go from here? Um, so I remember leaving that conversation and we had spoke for a couple hours and I went to our advisor for the graphic, Elizabeth, and kind of just was really honest. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, I want to pursue this because it was definitely newsworthy with her tie to the Department of Public Safety, with her um, with her alleged assaulter being tied to the Department of Public Safety. It was just, there, there was a very big story there and I, it it was a little bit overwhelming um, and it hadn't even happened to me. So it was just going to Elizabeth and basically forming a game plan. And basically we started with uh, Jane Doe's account. And then we also got access to a title IX notice from the office of community standards. I won't have, I won't say where we got that, but um, we did have access to that document, which includes the DPS Department of Public Safety report um, from when someone reports an incident. So that document had basically the entire DPS investigation. but the DPS investigation was just one of three. So from both her account and the document, we, we did have like good footing to start. We knew who was involved and who we needed to reach out to. And yeah, so from there, I reached out to Jane Doe's friend who she texted that night saying that um, she was touched and couldn't sleep. Um, He was the one who convinced her to go to DPS and report the incident. Um, So talked to him a couple of times. And I, I remember just reaching out to different people within the university and, uh, you know, like the Title IX office, the Department of Public Safety, um, Sharon Beard with the um, Student Disciplinary Committee, because, you know, there has to be a hearing. Um, So it, it was almost like writing a very rough outline of what happened and then finding who was involved in those different events. Once I felt like I had done my research and spoken to the right people, I decided to reach out to John Smith. and We had his phone number, so just gave him a call from the uh, the graphics phone number, Um, just for safety reasons, too, Um, and he was not interested in speaking um and said it was a title 9 violation to talk about it even though from what i've read it's it's not um so there was just like some miscommunication and confusion there um i basically just said like this is the this is what's happening and you are more than willing to you know share your side of the story if you want um yeah, nice was shaking after that call. Um, but yeah, he decided not to comment and that was fine. Um, we left him completely anonymous. Um, throughout the entire writing process, um there were highs and lows, you know, times that you feel like super motivated, and other times when you're like, I am in over my head because you don't want to slip up and this is something that needs to be a hundred percent accurate. Um, And if not accurate, what I mean by that is just everything needs to be attributed to someone.
0: Just going back to like anonymity, can you talk a little bit about like the like ethical like decision making process behind that just for like transparency, like as people are listening to this? Because I think some people from the outside might wonder, like, why did they choose to go with like granting most people involved in the case anonymity
2: okay yeah so we just yeah we on on his case we had that discussion and with her remaining anonymous we thought that to have a just story he needed to remain anonymous as well and like I said before in some cases it it just does more harm than good to name someone. And we didn't feel like there was going to be added value to putting his name in the story. So that was not just like a five minute coffee decision. It was definitely a long, a long discussion, but yeah. So for that case, and we kept like the investigators um, anonymous because, you know, one, gets taken off of the case uh there's just it was something that we thought to also have a clean story like there's already several names in here we wanted to make sure that people read this and got got the the message of the story versus just like this incident Not a lot of people really knows what goes into a sexual assault allegation or investigation because hopefully that's not something that they have to go through. Um, but we wanted to explain the steps because if someone wanted to come forward with an allegation, they then had all the resources to know what was going to happen and what that was going to look like. Um, and this case was unique because of DPS investigating DPS, so. They also had an HR investigation and an outside investigation. Um, I couldn't get access to the HR documents or the ones from the outside investigation. Uh, In the story, it explains that Doe was never reached out, or she doesn't believe that she was reached out by an outside investigator. So that's just... Right now, kind of, I think if you read it, maybe a loose end um, for some people, but we just wanted to, you know, explain that there were three that went into this story. And then um, we wanted to be transparent about what the Student Disciplinary Committee looks like, because obviously after the investigations are done, kind of what happens after that, the people who are investigating aren't the sole decision-makers. It then goes to the Student Disciplinary Committee, um, and they're given all that uh, investigation material, and um, it explains that those people who are on that committee are trained um, by the Title IX Coordinator, um, LaShonda Coleman, and... um, (coughs) the committee has this isn't story, but the committee has three faculty and staff members mix of male and female um and they those people are chosen because of their uh interest and commitment to being on a sexual assault case so um and that that part of the story it just explains you know you're not expected to be in the same room as the person who you accused done over zoom you have your camera on and they're listening then they turn their camera you know like it's kind of just giving people an idea of what that looks like because you know for some that may be really anxiety inducing if they knew they had to like stand in the same area as their as someone with in the story um and yeah so we just wanted to paint what that looked like we wanted to highlight that this case was unique in its DPS entanglement. So that the fact that there was other investigations done, but it was hard because we, did, we didn't have access to those other investigations, even after trying to get them. So,
0: so it starts with a DPS investigation. Then it goes to a student disciplinary committee. Is that a second investigation or are they reviewing the initial investigation
2: so what happens so after the investigations are done then the case is taken to the student disciplinary committee and they are the ones who like have that material and um will hear from the students and then make their decision i believe that um yeah the decision was emailed to both parties like within two days so they have a good turnaround or a quick turnaround and then there's an option to appeal the decision um but in this case doe said that she was exhausted and did not because if they didn't believe it the first time they wouldn't have the second time um is a quote from her but yeah so that i the the committee is kind of like a the event happens You report investigation, and then there is the hearing.
0: And the third party, do we ever know who the third party is, or is that something that's not disclosed?
2: They wouldn't say who the outside firm was. They wouldn't explain what that investigation looked like, because, as I mentioned, Doe believes that she wasn't interviewed by an outside person, but she isn't positive. Yeah, it is. It it is hard because at the end of the day, the two people who know what happened were in that DPS truck, and it's just. It, it was my responsibility to have as accurate of an account of what happened. But I also acknowledge that they are. Li- they are the only two that will ever know because there's just. There's there's no way other than word of mouth and what's written in the report to, to understand what happened.
0: During my interview with Jane Doe, I gave her the space to explain what happened after the story broke, to unpack her journey to healing and understanding. It's May, 2021. It's about two years and some months later, like how would you say that you've been able to process throughout that time period? Well,
1: in the beginning now, now two years later, I am a completely different person in a very positive way. I have an amazing support system around me. I have so many good friends. I am a lot stronger in myself and stronger in, um, the way that things happened back then and and stronger in the fact that it was not my fault and that there was nothing else i could have done and you know there there was no changing what happened and so there's only moving forward from here and so now two years later i'm very strong in that and and although it, it was a very traumatic thing that's happened to me i it's very valuable to me and it's made me who i am And it's made me stand up for myself in certain situations more. And so for that reason, I'm grateful. However, it's come with lots of negative consequences as well. I have, you know, um, struggles and issues with um, relationships with people, not just friendships, but intimate relationships and romantic relationships, you know, trusting not just people in general, but men, you know, and, you know, thinking that someone, every time I meet someone, they're going to, you know, I'm automatically assuming the worst, just so that I can prepare and protect myself, and, um, I didn't realize until later, after I had seeked out, um, therapy and help, that, you know, I was showering a lot, and, you know, feeling very dirty, and, um, and that one thing, I was, I remember that was just, like, I was my hands were like so cracked and dry because I was showering like three times a day at least because I just felt dirty but I didn't I didn't tie why I felt dirty I was just like you know I just thought oh I'm grimy I need to shower you know um and my relationships obviously my my best friend back then had fallen apart and so there have been a lot of consequences mentally and like emotionally with and i'm still working on building that trust with other people but definitely two years later i'm in a much better place even than i was last year when it was the one year anniversary of things i thought i was okay then and now i'm looking back and i'm like you're so much better now which is just it's kind of nice i'm only getting better and going up from here um and so that was That was a nice thing. And I I got, I actually got a tattoo in in remembrance of all this, um, in the middle of the investigation Mm -hmm. that says always forward, never back, which is kind of my motto now. And, (laughs) you know, it's kind of now my motto in everything. And it's a very amazing reminder. And, um something i always like get to look at down on my arm and like i had just said like now now i use that kind of mantra in everything just it happened and you can only learn from it and you can only move forward and not reflect back on the past in such a negative way but use it to move forward
0: i'm thinking of people who might be listening to this and maybe they've gone through something like this or they know someone who has, what would you say to them?
1: Mm, um, It's the most simple thing, but I think it's extremely effective that you are not alone. And it's crazy how not alone you are because it's crazy how often this happens. And you would be very surprised by how many other women or men that this has happened to. And um, of course, if they're not comfortable coming forward, I just want to say that they are just as brave as anyone else who has come forward. It's just going through something like that in general and surviving it, literally, and still being here to experience life is brave in itself. It's not this taboo thing, and it's not something that you should feel scared to talk about, and it's understandable that people feel scared to talk about it. But it's sad because you shouldn't feel scared at all. It's, it's it's something that happened to you. You wouldn't feel frightened to talk about a car crash you got in or like some other natural disaster that happened. It's It shouldn't be any different from a normal life event.
0: Mm. In the final minutes of our conversation, Jane Doe opened up about what it means to find healing. On some days, she said she feels like she has completely forgiven the situation and moved forward with her life. Other days, she said, aren't as easy. Her story acknowledges the very real and oftentimes psychologically strenuous process that victims of sexual assault face. As she spoke, I was struck by her resolve in wanting to forgive her assaulter.
1: I've definitely forgiven myself. I've definitely come to the realization that it was not my fault. It was not what I was wearing. It was not any sign that I had possibly given him. And I've forgiven myself for that. But it took a long time and still clearly as some you know, holding back on that complete forgiveness with him because of how much he ruined everything for me and, and turned my entire life around and turned all my relationships around and made it this permanent thing in my life and something I will never forget. And that took a long, long time for me to realize and forgive, but... I think once I started looking at it as a positive thing and how it has helped me positively and like I was talking about before that it gave me this sense of warning inside me that I can look for now and protect myself and protect others who I can stop before this something happens to them or I can now I can help other women and talk to them and. It's brought in so much good. And once I realized that, it was a lot easier to let it go and forgive him. And lots of prayers as well, lots of God talks. And he really it's weird to say that God rewarded me mentally and and spiritually when I did finally start to let that go.